the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. You know, no matter how old you get or how long you've been in ministry, no matter what you do, you're going to find sometimes that you do have a bad hair day and you do mess up a little bit. And I'll be there from time to time. And I'm so grateful that I could follow his lead. What do I do to get back up going again? But a lot of times when people hear that phrase, follow his lead, how do I do that? Does he come down and march in front of me? How does he do that? Does he speak audibly to me? How do I follow his lead? Well, I'm going to help you with that. By very simply telling you what I do when I fall down and I make mistakes and I want to get up right again, I follow his word because, you see, he leads us accurately through his word right here. I know that that must tell me, when I look at your Bible, that you too have had some bad hair days and you want to follow his lead too. And you're saying, but I know that to the degree I follow his word, to that degree I'll follow his lead, but I need to know his word and how to do that. Well, we're going to launch a new study today out of one particular book in the Bible, the book of James, But which is really common with me. We might study the book of James, but we're going to use that like a diving board, and we're going to dive into all of Scripture so that we're going to see how it all connects together. Now, as I speak to you, especially to the crowd that's gathered here today, I've got people that are seminary profs here. I've got people that are new believers. I have people that are so on the other side of the journey that they just kind of came because someone invited them and they're not certain what to believe. And so when you speak to a crowd like that, you have all different levels of understanding or information already about James. So for those of you though that are early on in this, let me show you a little bit about the background of James just for a moment so you can see why that the Lord says, I'm going to show you what to do to follow my lead when you have struggles in your life. We know that there are different people in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, that are named James. And so which one out of the myriad of James? I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we have more than one person even in our midst here today by the name of James. Now, I can assure you, whichever James you are, you didn't write this book, okay? But you can see many different James. Well, the one particular James that the greatest Bible scholars will agree on, and they've done their homework, they would say that the James who wrote this particular book is the James that would be related to Jesus Christ, the half-brother of Christ, we might say. Now, some of you that are thinking, oh, that must mean that the man, James, even though he knew Christ and saw Christ, he really wrote it. It's what he observed. Well, part of that could be true, but in reality, though, it's this. God says, I know you people, and I love you people, you that are my children. And I know that you live in a world that has a lot of challenges and temptations, and you're going to fall and make mistakes, and you won't be as mature as I'd like you to be. So I have a message for you, and I've decided that I'm going to give that message through my child named James, who's the half-brother of Jesus. And he says, I'm going to give him that message in such a way called inspiration, so that I'm going to take my mind, and he's going to put it on paper, 
and it'll be preserved in accuracy for people just like you and me. Now, a good question would be, when was this written? Now, this is important for us, and I think you'll see why in a moment. There are a lot of New Testament books, but we believe that it was written much earlier in the whole process of the New Testament books being written. So much so that it was written to a group of people that would be known as Jewish, but Jewish believers. But these Jewish believers were those that were scattered. Now, here's how that happened. You had Rome, and in Rome, they had the Roman Gentiles, and the Romans had a lot of tension against the Jews, so there was a lot of conflict going on. And so the Jews were underneath the oppression of Rome, and so they were scattering around and going different places, and of course, their heartbeat was in Jerusalem. But now you add another dynamic to that. In that mix of Jews, there were other Jews that were coming to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. They accurately knew the Old Testament and they could easily see that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and everyone he claimed to be. So now these Jews trusted in Christ as their Messiah. Well, now they had double persecution. They had the persecution from the Romans and the Gentiles and the second would be even from their fellow comrades, other Jewish people who did not trust in Christ as their Savior. So they're scattered. But it was early on as the New Testament church was getting started. So you can only imagine that those Jewish believers were struggling in their understanding about how to live for Christ, their Messiah. So they were making mistakes. Now, where does that bring you and me? Well, it's quite possible that some of you are very new in your new beginning with Christ. And you're now saying, I I need to know, how do I live my life? What do I do? How do I keep from having a bad hair day or a mess up? What can I do? Well, I want you to know that in God's mind 2,000 years ago, he knew you would be existing today. And he says, just like those New Testament Jewish believers were just starting out, you're going to be starting out, and I want to write a message to you. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I've been saved a long time. Well, that's good news too, because isn't it good sometimes to go back over to just kind of do a checkup to see what we might be missing? Now, for some little anecdotal information, some people will say that the book of James would be the New Testament version of Proverbs, because there are so many principles in the book of James. In fact, a lot of Bible scholars will tell you that the book of James probably touches on every single area of what we might call a sin in our life that we've messed up. And he addresses that and what we need to do to do what's right to move forward. Now, some people would also say that if you go through the book of James, and those of you that want to go a little bit deeper, you might want to follow the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6, 7, Matthew, and on. And see how many times you can see the Sermon on the Mount so closely to the principles and teachings of the book of James. Try that and do that in your devotion time slowly every day and see what you might come up with. But in the process of doing that, you want to know that it's not how much you know up here. It's how much you have in here and you live out through you through the Holy Spirit in your life. So we're going to begin this journey of James. And as I study this material, I came up with a title that seems to work and agrees with Scripture and a lot of other writers, but the title we're using here is Building a Working Faith. Now, I must tell you that specifically this book and my messages will be designed for those who already know Christ as Savior. In other words, you're part of God's family. Now, those of you that don't know Christ yet... Don't worry about that because every week I'm going to help you see how this verse or this passage will relate to you so you too can come into the family of God by faith alone. So it'll be special for you as well. Well, today, because it's the launching of the book, I thought what I might do was to give you a little bit of an overview of the book of James. 
And what I found so interesting is that the concept of maturity is found in every single chapter of the five chapters. So I decided to pick out five principles, one from each chapter, on the dynamic of being mature. So I titled the message, How Do You Spot a Mature Person? I reluctantly gave that title because I don't want to give you a loaded gun, so to speak. I don't want you to look at your husband or your wife or your kids or your mom or dad. And certainly don't look at me to see if you spot a mature person. What you really want to do is look at yourself for just a moment and see, as a believer in Christ, if you are coming to that level of maturity and growing in the faith and might really be helping you. You know, as a pastor, we're called upon to deal with a lot of people in various issues of life, and I don't want to be too specific, but, you know, we get into such things as family counseling, business counseling, conflicts between other people, financial issues with people, people that are fearful about sickness or death and things like that. And sometimes they're having those conflicts because of perhaps a little bit of lack of maturity in their life. And I think you know that. Some of you that are parents, you could look at your children for just a moment in your mind's eye. Don't stare at them right now. But you could look at your kids and you could see times when that they are in conflict with one another. That they're just acting disruptively. They're just doing things that aren't right. And you know they know better. And at that moment, you usually say to yourself, my kids are acting immaturely. How many of you have thought at least one time this week that someone, maybe your own kids, have acted in an immature fashion? Would you raise your hand? Now, don't put both hands up and your legs up. Just one hand, okay? We've all been there before. But today, we're going to talk a little bit about maturity. But it'd be good for us to answer a question before that, and that would be, what is maturity? And what is it not? So I'm going to submit to you what maturity is not, what it isn't, so that at least you'll get rid of that thinking because it's wrong thinking. So what maturity is not? Here's number one. Maturity is not age. Some people think that just the older you get, the more mature you will get. And sometimes that will happen, but it doesn't have to. Just getting older doesn't make you more mature. I read a bumper sticker that said, I may be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. Well, it's true. You can be 60 years of age and still act very, very immature. I like this phrase. It really works for me. Some of you might resonate with it. That the Lord doesn't want us to grow old in Christ. He wants us to grow up in Christ. And so there is a big difference between just growing older. That's not a guarantee that we're going to become more and more mature. Secondly, maturity is not appearance. Just because we might appear like people who are mature doesn't mean we're necessarily mature. You could see people that might walk around very dignified and they might even carry the right Bible, you know, and they might even wear the right dignified, mature-looking clothes. But inside, they still have a raging war of pride and bitterness, moral impurity going on, maybe greed, and they have quick conflicts with other people. So you can appear like you're mature, but still not be very mature. And maybe a little visual will help you. Can you remember when you were younger and you got into your mom and dad's closet and you put on your mom's shoes, girls? And I'm saying for girls, I hope you guys didn't put on your mom's shoes. And some of you guys, how many of you put on some of your dad's clothes? And so you could wear all of that, but inside still be immature. Now, let me flip that for just a moment. How many of you have ever been maybe, and I don't want to marginalize Waikiki, but you've been down at Waikiki and there's been 60-year-old people wearing clothes that 20-year-olds would wear. Now, we don't want to linger on that, do we? So you could be mature, so it's not just the clothes, but I think you get the idea. Just appearing to be mature doesn't make us mature. Here's the third thing that maturity is not. Maturity is not achievement. There are a lot of immature millionaires today. 
And I don't have to name names, but I'll give you some genres. How many of you know rock stars that have millions of dollars, but they don't act mature? How many of you know superlative athletes that are out there that have millions of dollars and they're not very mature? How many know in the entertainment field, they got millions of dollars out there, but they're not very, very, very mature? So it doesn't matter how much you achieve. You can have all sorts of things in your life and you don't have maturity. Here's one and last thing that maturity is not. Maturity is not necessarily academics. Again, I hesitate to say that because I am speaking to an educated audience. Most of you at the right age have gone through high school, maybe have other degrees, etc. But all the academics you have does not necessarily mean that you're mature. And I think you could really relate to that. I remember when I was in high school, I was really, truly, in our family, I was the first Pons, P-O-N-Z, in our entire heritage that ever graduated from high school. And I thought I knew everything. You know, I'm the first one, man. I graduated. And then I went to Bible college. And as soon as I got into Bible college, I really realized how stupid and ignorant I was. Then I finally made it through four years of Bible college. And I went into seminary for three more degrees and a doctorate. I thought, man, I really got it. And as soon as I had my doctorate and was now teaching in a school and doing church work, etc., I realized how much more intelligent other people were. So let me tell you right now that just having academics does not necessarily mean that you're going to be mature. Now, here's what I'd like you to listen to most loudly. I think you know my core value is this, that while I will teach you the Bible and hopefully give it to you in some of the depth that it would be, I don't want you to just have a working knowledge of the Bible. I want you to have a working lifestyle of the Bible in your life. And it's more blessed for you to do than just for you to know. So just having the academics won't do it. You can have all the degrees, and they could even call you Dr. Fahrenheit, and it's not going to help you in your maturity. It's what you do with what you have. So what is it? I'm going to try to reduce it, and I know this is oversimplified, but to help you to think, if we want to look at maturity, it's going to be starting with an attitude. It's a mindset inside of you. So if you want maturity, think in terms of what's going on on the inside, and then it's properly the Lord living out his life through you, so it's attitude. D.L. Moody once said this. He said, character is what you do in the dark. And I think that's very important. I often tell the guys when I teach men on integrity, that it's what you do and no one else can seize you. That's what integrity is. I worked with promise keepers and wrote stuff and traveled and spoke for them and all of that. We did all of this stuff and they talked a lot about accountability groups. As important as accountability groups are, and I really, really tell you that's, it, it's very important. On the other hand, if you will rely upon your accountability partner or group to keep you pure with integrity, you've missed it all together because it's something that we choose to do. You see, your recognition is going to be coming from people who see you who you are, but real character is what God sees and says that you are from the inside out. And that's really what maturity is all about. So how do you measure maturity? There's a particular Greek word. It's not important that you know the Greek word. It is important that you know what it means. When you go through your, your version of the Bible, I hope it's a translation and not just a, a paraphrase. I truly hope that. But if you do, you're going to find the word mature. You're going to find the word perfect. You're going to find the word complete. Now, obviously, no one is going to be perfect like Christ is. So maybe a better word for perfect would be the word, I'm mature. I've arrived at a level of completeness at least where I am now. 
A year from now, I'll even be more mature because I'll be older and experienced more and have more opportunity to know more of the Lord, watch this, and apply more of the Lord as I face the issues of life as I grow through the stages of life. So maturity is a growing progress with us all, but we want to be as mature as we can be at the level we are, and as we grow tomorrow, we're a little bit more mature tomorrow because we experience more and we're living that out. So maybe the word perfect isn't the best word. Complete and mature would be the best word. And so you're going to find it about five times, that whole concept in each one of the chapters. So let me go quickly now and kind of go over the five mountain peaks in the book of James, and let's discover what maturity would be, at least from the book of James, for you to begin seeing if you could spot in you a mature person. Here's number one. A mature person is positive under pressure. Is positive under pressure. Let me read to you the verse that we have there for you. It says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Did you catch all of that? There's a lot in there and we can spend a whole sermon on this one verse. In fact, the idea of trials is so significant that next week I'm going to show you how that from trials there are a lot of things that we can learn. And one of those is going to be maturity. So let me ask you this particular week. What kind of problems did you face this week? Go through your mind's eye. What kind of problems did you face this week? With your children, with your mate, with someone on the job? with your finances, with your car, what kind of trials did the Lord permit you to experience this week? Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think about that because that's part of maturity. Now, here's the second question. How did you respond to that trial that you had? When you were underneath the pressure from those problems, how did you respond to that? You know, the Christian life is just that. It's life. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And Jesus says, I come to give you life. But also, I must tell you that when you have life, you're going to have problems. And when you have problems, you've got to solve those problems. You've got to face those problems. And when you do, from a biblical perspective, that's going to breed within you spiritual maturity that only God can do. And that's the perseverance that brings you to maturity in Christ when you face those problems. And we're all going to have those kinds of problems. So what kind of an attitude did you have this week? Were you supportive with someone? Or were you skeptical? Did you have an attitude of griping and grumbling or gratefulness? Did you have an attitude that you affirmed someone or you displayed some form of anger with that situation? Because truly, when you think about it, problems are still connected to people, and we'll see that in a moment. Look at this wonderful verse in James, verse 12 of chapter 1. It says, Blessed is the man who persevered under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God promises to those who really love him. So I want you to know, it's not how much you know, it's what you do with what you know that gets you that crown. Well, that's the first one. Were you a positive person when you faced a problem this week? And if not, go to the Lord, check it out, correct it, and face this week with a person who will respond in a better way when you have a problem. Let's go to number two. A mature person is sensitive to people. We're surrounded by people, aren't we? Look in James chapter 2. We're going to the second chapter, and here's what it says. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, and you'll be doing right. So here's my question to you. Whatever problem you face this week, how did you react to the person that was involved in that particular problem? Ooh, now think about that. Now some of you are probably thinking that that person called me to rat you out, so to speak, from the pulpit. And that's not it at all. But it can happen to every single one of us. This happens to me. I deal with it. Same thing. 
I remember one time I was traveling with a national speaker. We were in Atlanta, Georgia at the time, and we finished up our speaking, and he wanted to go to an Atlanta Braves game. And so we went from the hotel and we went to go get something to eat. And now we were going to park back at the hotel because we were in walking distance from Brave Stadium. I don't know what they call the stadium, but I'm calling it Brave Stadium. So while we were trying to get back into the parking garage, the police had, had blocked off certain roads so you couldn't get into the hotel because the traffic pattern to get into Brave Stadium parking was just everywhere. It was just hard to get through there. So I'm now not driving, but I'm in the passenger seat. And so now this national speaker, which I won't mention his name, he's over here driving and there's a policeman and the policeman is motioning us, but he's standing right there next to a little ramp that'll take us down into the parking garage of our hotel. Now I'm not busting on the police, so if you're part of that, just relax. But I will tell you that I'm sitting here and so this national speaker says, would you roll down the window because I'm going to ask this policeman if we can go down that ramp. That seems like a reasonable request, so I hit that little electric window button and out it goes and so... This speaker then says, hey, hey, and the policeman just seemed to keep doing this. Now, whether or not he could hear the speaker or not, I don't know. All I know is I'm not going to do it here because, first of all, those who are listening on radio, they'd shut off. But he was screaming that it seemed like my hair was blowing sideways, you know, at this poor policeman over there. And finally, I put my hand on his leg and I said, you know what? We'll, we'll make it. It's okay if we have to park over at McDonald's two miles away. It's going to be okay. Well, I want you to know that he, he repented. He apologized to me. I don't know if he ever apologized to that policeman. Confessed it to the Lord. And he goes around the country now talking about how much he really ruined his testimony in front of me. So I have permission to share that. Right now, I want you to know, I don't know what I would have done if I was driving. What would you have done? Every day we're going to face problems in life. And will we be sensitive to the people who are around us? So James chapter 2 talks so much about that and how important it is if we're going to be mature. How do we handle people? So, do you handle people by showing them favoritism, someone better than someone else? We'll talk about that when we get to that section of Scripture. Are you a snob or do you snub people? Are you the kind of person that when someone has a particular need, you zone them out behind a newspaper? And today we hardly do that anymore. We zone people out by just getting glued to the computer while they're all around us. How many of our kids have already grown up in a house where we as a parent allow them with so much disruption because we ignore them until we hear a scream or something break or something really uh, damaging occurs because we've zoned them out. We're just not sensitive. We don't really hear where they really hurt. How many people are in our world on the job that probably need us at that moment? And maturity says we're going to slow ourselves down. We're going to give them a drink of water in the name of Jesus. We're going to bake them a cake in the name of Jesus. We're going to scratch them where they itch in the name of Jesus. And you know what? I don't care how many Bible verses you can memorize. I don't care how many times that you have gone through different books of the Bible. If we don't live out a life of aloha to the people who are around us with genuine Christ-like aloha, then we're not all that mature. And so let's look for every opportunity that God gives us to be sensitive to those that are around us, how much God wants us to do that. So the first one is, is how we're going to handle problems with pressure. And then how we're going to be sensitive to others. Let's look at the third way we can be mature with people. And that would be a mature person has mastered his mouth. Maybe that's too crass to say that. Have you mastered your mouth? Um, Maybe a better way would say that. Have you controlled your communication? Let's look at that in James chapter 3. Again, the idea of maturity. It says, we all stumble in many ways. And I put down there, this is an understatement. Nobody's perfect. We all are going to stumble. And we heard about that in our song this morning from our friend Miles. It says, if anyone 
is never at fault in what he says. He's a perfect person, mature, okay, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, the reason I chose the word master your mouth is because that's a little bit more to scripture. You're going to talk about your tongue. But in today's age, I'd like to kind of fan that out a little bit more. It's not just what you say, or how you make words with your lips. I know it's coming from the heart. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But here's what I would like us to know, that we have what are known as a verbal and nonverbal communication. A verbal communication is how we say it, timing, tone, technique. Those are what we call verbal expressions, what we do with our tongue and our mouth. The nonverbal ones would be something like this. Your mom asks you to do something. How do you respond? Is it like... Now, you've never said anything. What you're really saying is, oh, yeah, mom, that's a great idea. You know, what you're really saying is sarcasm. You don't want to do that. So what you do is you can project not with so much the literal tongue, but you are projecting from your heart. And that heart is very, very important. So do we control our mouth, our verbal, our nonverbal communications? That's a sign of a mature person when we do that. In Scripture, you're going to find that the word tongue and communication has a lot of different illustrations. One time it's used as the rudder of a, of a ship or a boat. And you know how small that is. Sometimes it's like a little spark that sets off a big fire. Sometimes it's used even as a snake. Other times it's used as a spring. There are many different little representations of how you can direct something or cause something to go by your tongue. So I got thinking, by what I say to other people, will it discourage them? Do I destroy them? Do I delight in them? Do I give them good direction in the proper way? See, my tongue could be used to either build up or to destroy. And a mature person will know the difference with that. Now, here's something I'd like you to consider. And this will be a question I'm going to ask you, and then I think it'd be good if you asked your family. Sometimes when we speak, we always are giving commands and directions when sometimes some of the things that we share ought to be softened into a suggestion, in a kindness. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.